afternoon, and welcome to iWolves, the owner-friendly and dog-friendly dog training show hosted by Dr. Ian Dunbar. iWolves is proudly sponsored by Premier Pet Products and The Kong Company. In this hour, Dr. Dunbar will help you understand dog training from the dog's point of view. Now here's your host, Dr. Dunbar. Hi, this is Dr. Dunbar's iWolves, the owner-friendly and dog-friendly dog training show to help you understand dog training from the dog's point of view and to learn what you can learn from your dog. So it's hello from me, Dr. Ian Dunbar. Hello from Dune. Hello from Claude. And hello from Ollie. Good afternoon, wherever you are, or I guess I should say good evening if you're in England and good morning if you're in Australia. Um, today we're going to talk about pet dog training. That uh, over the past 30 years ago, pet dog training has evolved as a very specialized field of dog training. Uh, pet dog training is probably one of the most complicated, challenging, sometimes frustrating, yet most thoroughly rewarding of endeavors. Uh, pet dog training differs very markedly from teaching, say, uh, competition dogs or working dogs, um, and from training animals for public shows like marine mammals, killer whales, and such. The field, the whole field of pet dog training is, is fairly new. It's, uh, it's barely 25 years old, um, last month, in fact. Um, it used to be that training was a very, very privileged endeavor or, or a vocational field that basically uh, dog training evolved around the training of hunting dogs where we taught dogs to um, help us hunt and either it meant that you had to be very very rich and you had a lot of dogs and you, and you went hunting and um, you employed a trainer or you were in fact the trainer you were a gamekeeper Around the, the turn of the century, the, uh, the past century, the 1900s, um, we then had the training of military dogs. Um, it started firstly in, in Germany, then other countries around the world, Belgium, France, England. And this had a huge influence on the whole field of pet dog training. That around 1950, 1960, some of these military dog trainers um, wanted a new job. They got out of the military and they got into dog training. And so dogs were now trained in the good old military method, which was basically um, on leash and, and we're walking in a straight line and we're, we're sitting to attention. Um, obedience training then evolved as a sport. And we had books on obedience training, classes on obedience training. So if you had a pet dog, say, 1960, 1970, and you wanted to give him an education, um, generally you would go to an obedience class. And in obedience classes, they taught adult dogs, um, and they taught them first on leash, and then, of course, you had to train them up so that they were reliable off leash. The first family puppy class was taught in January 1982. And this, of course, was serious puppy training. And uh, they made a video out of serious puppy training, and the serious video spread the word about puppy classes uh, all over the world. The Association of Pet Dog Trainers was then founded in 1993. In the early 90s, um, most classes were AKC obedience-based, but in every city around the United States, there'd be one or two people which were talking, fam teaching family puppy classes. And in 1993, they came together and they formed their own association. The uh, Association of Pet Dog Trainers is now the largest association of pet dog trainers in the world, and it has thousands and thousands of members. And this, of course, is the best source. If you are looking for a dog trainer, you want to check out apdt.com. So last week, the field of pet dog training celebrated its 25th birthday. The world's very first family puppy class was taught in California on the 26th of January, 1982. Uh, before then, dogs had to wait until they were six months to a year old before attending kennel club-style classes, which focus, as I said, on teaching repetitive obedience drills, largely with leash corrections. Off-leash puppy classes really caused a, a training revolution. Um, at the beginning, I guess, there was a, a, a little resistance, um, but... In one by one, most trainers began to embrace a scientific-based, reward-based method, and especially the use of food and toys as lures and rewards in training. 
Uh, why? Um, well, largely because these methods worked and because, unlike leash training methods, uh, lure-reward training techniques could be easily mastered by pet dog owners, um, especially including children. In, in pet dog training, of course, this is one of the most important things, that the, the methods are um, expedient, that they're suitable for family members. And, of course, training was fun that it's real different from when you have a dog on leash and, and you're kind of square bashing and you're teaching obedience drills than when you're teaching a dog off leash and you're using food lures, food rewards, and lots of toys, tug toys, uh, re retrieval toys to do this. So pet dog training is very different from competitive obedience and working dog training. Um, it's not necessarily better than or, or inferior to, it's just, it's very different. The, the first difference is the syllabus. In, in most forms of training, uh, competitive obedience um, or, or working dog training, gun dog trials or schutzen, ring sports, the trainer, the, the dog's handler, knows the rules and they know the exam questions long before the examination. Uh, for example, if you're training up a dog for, say, competitive obedience, you know that on the exam there's going to be a one-minute sit-stay. And so if you don't train your dog to do a one-minute sit-stay, it's... Uh, pretty stupid. In pet dog training, however, there are no rules. Um, the questions are just, they're unknown, and the syllabus is infinite. The syllabus in pet dog training comprises all aspects of socialization, uh, temperament training, bite inhibition, behavior modification, as well as teaching basic manners. And again, the, these manners are different. They're different from very precise obedience drills. Uh, in pet dog training, the manners are they're a little looser. The dog's more relaxed, but the dog has to be absolutely reliable. Um, for example, in the syllabus here, we could have uh, how do we deal with a child who's stealing the dog's toy? The dog's happily there playing with his toy. Um, he's chewing on his chew toy, and the child comes up and wants to take it away. Um, this is a huge question, um, you know, and you've really got to make sure that this dog is okay in terms of sharing his very special dog toys with children. Or if the children want to play horses with the dog, that they have a golden retriever and they saddle him up with the leash and they jump on his back. I mean, this is the sort of thing that happens when children and dogs are together. And so it, it, it really accentuates the fact that the most important thing in pet dog training is um, that the dog has a good temperament and the dog really likes people, especially including children. Or has happened in my house one day, I have a pretty good kid and I keep an eye on him whenever he has friends around, around the dog. Um, one day I noticed uh, that, you know, where were they? They were gone and my poor dog, a Malamute, comes walking up from the garden dripping wet. Um, these two boys have been playing Malamute hunting with high-powered water pistols. I mean, this is the sort of thing that happens in any household if you take your eye off your children or your dog for a second. And so I told them, well, you know what you got to do. Um, Phoenix used to love water. Um, now she's not too keen on it, so you better resolve the problem. Pet dog training caters to different needs of different people and different dogs. Yeah, pet dog training caters to all dogs, not just the specialist breeds like Border Collies and Golden Retrievers and German Shepherd Dogs and Malinois. But in pet dog training, we've got Basset Hounds, Italian Greyhounds, we've got Jack Russell Terriers, Miniature Poodles, Long-Haired Akitas, all dogs. And pet dog training caters to all owners instead of just obedience enthusiasts. And, and the big difference here is, of course, time. In obedience training or working dog training, the trainer will spend hours, years in class. Um, they're knowledgeable, experienced, and dedicated handlers who are trained for weeks and months and years to perfect a desired performance with an adult dog. However, in pet dog training, we're dealing with puppies. And the developmental clock is ticking quickly. And the owners want the training done yesterday. The owners really want results very, very quickly. So basically, pet dog training is all about communication and relationships. In a sense, uh, training is, is really teaching dogs ESL, English as a second language. We're teaching the dogs English words for doggy behaviors and actions. 
During training, we may teach the dog, say, the meaning of one word at a time until it's actually possible to communicate in a perfectly constructed English sentence, such as Omaha, come here, take this note, and go to Jamie, please. So Omaha had learned first his name, Omaha, then the instructions, come here, take it, go to, and Jamie. Um, the please was just added in to be polite. Saying please, I think, really sets the tone for training. It, it, your, whole, uh, your whole facial expressions are different, and the dog then may want to please. What you have there, of course, if you've taught the dog to go to different family members, you've now got your own little family search and rescue dog. Um, whenever you need a family member, you just tell your dog, hey, Rover, go to Jamie, or Rover, go to Mum, and the dog knows where to find them. Say you're out camping, little John is down by the creek, you know, doing something, I don't know, he normally shouldn't be doing, and you send the dog to find him with a note, hey, come on, it's time for lunch. So pet dog training has to be easy, efficient, effective, enjoyable, efficacious, and expedient. It's got to be easy so the pet owners can do it. It's got to be efficient um, so they will do it. <laughs> it's got to be quick. It's got to be effective or else what's the point? And enjoyable, you know, why not? I mean, training can be a drag or it can be a lot of fun. So, hey, I'm voting for it to be a lot of fun, and I think a lot of dogs would agree with me here. Uh, it needs to be efficacious, and by that I mean you, you don't win the battle, lose the war. That if the dog jumps up, you smack him on the head, yeah, he won't jump up again, but now he doesn't like you. He's not even around, you know, to, to have the problem. So make sure the methods you use don't cause other problems. But above all, it has to be expedient. That basically pet dog training methods have to be suitable for all family members and many of them are children. And this probably is the single biggest difference uh, between training uh, for competition and pet dog training. The pet owner is not a dog trainer. And so we use very different methods when we're, we're teaching them how to teach their dogs. Well, I think it's time for a little break now. So this is Ian Dunbar. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. VoiceAmerica.com your News Talk Information Radio Network. Looking for the world's most versatile and durable dog toy? The Kong Company established the standard for dog toy performance and durability. The legendary Red Rubber Kong toy is recommended by the world's top veterinarians and dog trainers. A treat stuff Kong toy is the training tool of choice for addressing numerous behavioral challenges, including destructive chewing, excessive barking, and separation anxiety. Kong toys are available at pet stores worldwide. Get your Kong today. Your dog will love you for it. Want to keep your dog busy with good things to chew? Premier's Busy Buddy treat-holding toys are the answer. Each one is designed to hold a different type of treat, providing hours of entertainment. Squirrel Dude features the patented treat meter, randomly dispensing kibble as your dog plays. The Big Kahuna Football includes the patented treat trapper, ideal for hard biscuits and intense chewing pleasure. Ask for Busy Buddy at your local pet store, veterinarian, or trainer, and be sure to check out all the other great Busy Buddy toys, including Waggle, Bouncy Bone, Tug-A-Jug, and more at Premier.com. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to iWolfs with veterinarian and animal behaviorist Dr. Ian Dunbar, the pioneer of lure, reward, fun and games, dog-friendly dog training. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Dr. Dunbar, and we're back with iWoofs, and we were just talking about pet dog training and how it's different from training competition or working dogs. One huge thing about pet dog training is the techniques need to be solution-based. Um, they should work, and they should work very, very quickly. And more importantly, dog owners should be able to get them to work. Um, this, of course, is... is what the owners want. I mean, it's, it's why they buy a dog training book or a dog training video or, or come to class. They want simple methods, fun methods that work quickly. And, and all pet dog training techniques should really all bear the endorsement. Please try this at home. I.e., these techniques are, they're simple, they're safe, and they're highly effective. 
So dog training, it, it certainly can be and should be a lot of fun. It, it's a pretty simple endeavor. I mean, you know, it's, it's hardly rocket science. But various people uh, seem to have a lot of excuses for not training their dog. Um, some of these excuses even get, you know, get on par with, oh, the dog ate my homework. It's like, uh-huh, yeah. Um, but there's lots of silly excuses for why we don't train the dog. And, and I think this is a shame because it's training really is teaching the dog our language so we can communicate with it. How can we have a relationship if we don't communicate? Uh, training is really the dog's education, and I think it's such a shame to deny a dog an education. So I think sometimes, though, we, meaning dog professionals, um, spend too much time discussing why is the dog behaving this way, um, rather than just getting on with changing the dog's behavior and, 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 and doing something. I mean, getting the dog to behave the way the owner wants. And, and this, of course, is, we call it the, the nominal fallacy, that we, we spend a lot of time naming the problem, classifying the problem. Etiology is actually the, the medical word for this, the etiology of the problem. Why is the dog doing this, rather than thinking of changing his behavior? Um, a big clue that someone gets hung up with the nominal fallacy is they use a lot of big, long words. Um, like one of my favorite terms was a dog that suffered from canine psychogenic polyphagia. <laughs> I mean, basically, the dog is overeating. I mean, why don't we just say the dog is overeating? All right, then let's weigh out the food in the morning and we'll feed him less. Um, I don't think it's such a big problem and it certainly doesn't need such a big fancy label. Or another favorite one of mine is idiopathic, that, you know, we got this idiopathic problem and that idiopathic problem. Um, I remember once, years ago, someone called me up. This was from a veterinary teaching hospital, and they said, Ian, you've got to drive up here and look at this dog. We have a real case of idiopathic aggression. I mean, what's this person really saying? You know, idiopathic means we haven't got a clue what's causing this. So we have a real case of I haven't got a clue what's causing it. Uh, you know, duh. it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, someone says, oh, what's that? Oh, my word, that's so scary. Oh, that, that, that's a UFO. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad I know what it is. It's an unidentified flying object. You know, the, the concept that naming it actually, you know, solves it. Um, but it does. People get really hung up with classification, classifying problems and etiology. Um, also, you know, we, we, we will have syndromes and, and disorders. And when you lump a group of, say, behavior problems or behavior signs in a syndrome, it, it's often a sign that we really don't understand what's going on, um, that we don't actually know how to resolve the dog's problems. Uh, a classic example here, of course, is, is rage syndrome. Um, when you actually look at what's going on, no, it's, it's quite easy to understand it. Um, it's usually presented as that the dog was perfectly fine uh, for years and years, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, with no warning, no reason, there was a multiple bite attack, and the dog, say, bit a child. And then afterwards, the dog acted perfectly normal. But all of this is really perfectly understandable, that, um, you know, the dog was uh, perfectly fine. Of course he was. You know, why should he act badly if things are going okay? So he's perfectly fine, and then he bites. Now, this whole no warning thing, no, I'm sorry, the dog's been warning you for a couple of years. You know, a stranger comes in the room and the dog leaves. I mean, what bigger message do you want than when, say, a Doberman gets off the couch and goes to the kitchen? I mean, Dobermans don't get off couches. And so if they do, something is really wrong, and it probably has something to do with this stranger. And indeed, when you look at it, you know, you find this dog had there were a lot of good reasons to bright. That, that, you know, the dogs say may take a while to warm to strangers, um, especially men. Um, the dog, we know, uh, is a bit hand shy when you reach out to pet it. He ducks his head. The dog's a little tricky around her food bowl. The dog's a bit scared of children. You know, the euphemistic way we've talked about this dog. And then one day an unfamiliar child touches his dog's collar while she's checking out her food bowl. And wham, you've got a bite. 
added on top of that, it could have been, you know, the dog was having a bad hair day. Um, I, I don't mean this in a joke. I mean that the dog is just having a bad day. People have been getting on its case, and then it has to deal with an unfamiliar child. So rather than, you know, just classifying it as rage syndrome, you know, a, a good pet dog trainer will say, well, let's take these things one at a time. Let's teach the dog not to be hand shy and to enjoy having its collar touched. Let's teach the dog to love children. You know, let's teach the dog that strangers are okay. And let's teach the dog that people around the food bowl is, is pretty cool. Let's do something about the dog and, and save the problem, solve the problem. Now, I think here, most important thing to point out is that behavior problems seldom subscribe to the medical model. In the medical model, usually you have a whole bunch of clinical signs, but a single cause, like a virus, a bacteria, or injury. With behavior problems, it's quite the opposite. You have one or two behavioral signs, the dog growls or the dog bites, but you have a whole variety of reasons why the dog acts that way. Um, for example, here, we don't like strangers, we don't like children, we don't like our collar touched, and we're tricky around our food bowl, and today's not a good day. There's five reasons right there. So w we have to realize that with behavior problems, we would approach it very differently than, say, if we went to a veterinarian because our dog was sick. Another major reason not to train, ironically, is, is supposed medical etiology. That the assumption here is that the dog has a medical problem that causes the behavior problem, such as house soiling, hyperactivity, or biting. Therefore, training is useless. It won't work because it's a medical problem, and therefore we don't even attempt to train the dog. Um, th this is it's a great shame. And on the, the contrary, even if the dog does have a medical problem, then the dog still needs to be trained. Um, and if he has a medical problem, then he really needs to be trained. The training needs to be more intensive. Now, it could be that the dog does have an underlying medical condition that causes the problem. Um, it's actually highly unlikely. Um, or the dog may have an underlying medical condition, but it doesn't cause a behavior problem. Um, a classic here, like a dog of mine at home at the moment, Ollie, he's getting old and his kidneys are beginning to fail, so he's got a bit of polyuria. He needs to pee a lot because he can't concentrate his urine. But he will do everything possible to leave the couch and to make sure that he gets outside to go to his toilet. Um, or it may be that the dog has a medical condition and a medical problem, but there's no causative relationship. And I think this is the biggest mistake, that people think that, that one thing causes the other. Instead, the behavior problem could exist simply because of lack of training. Much, much, much more likely, though, is that the dog doesn't have any underlying medical problem, yet um, he has a behavior problem due to lack of training. And, and this is certainly what I would suspect with problems like house soiling, household destruction, excessive barking, um, hyperactivity, humping other dogs and people, lack of recall, pulling on leash, fearfulness towards people, and especially separation anxiety and biting people. Um, this is very important here that we don't use the, the suspicion that the dog has a medical problem as an excuse not to train. So, now before everyone screams foul, I, I'm not saying don't have your dog checked out. If you suspect something's wrong with it, of course you do. I'm just saying that usually a behavior problem usually has a behavior cause. Now, strangely enough, in, in the medical world, therapy-based diagnostics is surprisingly common. For example, if a dog is suspected of having, say, diabetes insipidus, where the dog can no longer concentrate his urine, rather than testing ADH, antidiuretic hormone levels, it's just easier, quicker, and less invasive to treat with synthetic ADH and see what happens. And the diagnosis is made if the treatment solves the problem, and now the dog's pee turns yellow. Um, in fact, I use therapy-based diagnostics nearly all the time when resolving behavior problems because my behavior protocols, my treatments are usually the same, irrelevant of the cause. I'm always going to do the same thing, so I usually just get on with it and I, I train the dog. 
Another thing to beware is, is anthropomorphic etiology. We use words to describe the dog's behavior. Oh, he's behaving out of revenge, spite, jealousy, protection, viciousness, and last but not least, dominance. Uh, please trust me here. These are uniquely human foibles. Trust me, dogs do not stoop to this level. You know, they, they are not vying for world domination. It's so important to concentrate on your dog's behavior. Focus on what is the dog doing. Praise him if his behavior is appropriate, and if not, then change the behavior so that it is appropriate. If you dwell on the presumed motives, um, if you even think that the dog is acting out of spite or acting out of dominance, then it's going to sour your training program and it's going to ruin the relationship between you and your dog. Um, so always make training fun. Concentrate on the behavior, what's the problem, and think, how would I like my dog to act, and then teach him to act that way. It's, it's really not that difficult, just as long as we don't overthink it and get into this whole classification and, and, and dwelling on what is the cause. Okay, I think it's time for another break now, so I shall be back in a couple of minutes. VoiceAmerica.com, your news talk information radio network. Kong Dog Toys are praised by owners and trainers alike for quality, versatility, and durability. The world's top veterinarians have recommended the original Kong toy for over 30 years. Kong has become the training tool of choice for addressing numerous behavioral challenges, including destructive chewing, excessive barking, and separation anxiety. The key to successful Kong training is to insert healthy dog food or treats into the Kong toy to entice your dog. Look no further than Kong's Stuff and Brand Dog Treats, perfectly designed to fit Kong toys. Available wherever pet supplies are sold. Your dog will love you for it. Do you want to keep your dog busy with good things to chew? Check out the newest products in Premier's Busy Buddy line. The Bouncy Bone combines rubber, durable nylon, and replaceable rawhide rings for extended playtime pleasure. Fill Tugger Jug with treats or kibble, and your dog will be regularly rewarded while playing fetch or tug or just rolling it around on his own. Ask for Busy Buddy at your local pet store, veterinarian, or trainer. And be sure to check out all the other great Busy Buddy toys, including Waggle, Twist and Treat, Squirrel Dude, and more at Premier.com. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to iWolves with veterinarian and animal behaviorist Dr. Ian Dunbar, the pioneer of lure, reward, fun and games, dog-friendly dog training. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Dr. Ian Dunbar and I'm back with iDogs. Um, we were just talking about uh, how it is so much more important to concentrate on the dog's behavior and what the dog is doing rather than concentrating or asking the question, why is the dog misbehaving this way? Um, it's an enormous hang-up. Whenever anyone asks me a, a question about um, Dog training, for example, they will say things like, oh, my dog is, he's perfectly fine, you know, when he's off leash and, and he's really good with little dogs and he's really good in this dog park. But, and then it comes, when I'm walking him on leash, um, he always get into a fight with, you know, oh, Labradors. And then here comes the question, why do you think he's doing that? And I always try and tell them, you know, you're really asking the wrong question, and I don't have an answer for you, and no one does. Um, we don't even know why humans act the way they do. We don't even know what humans are thinking, and so what makes us even think that we could guess what a dog is thinking or read his mind and come up with the reasons why he's behaving this way? I, I think a much more profitable question to ask is, how can we change the dog's behavior? And I always like to get people to ask the question, look, if this is wrong, what is right? If, say, picking on another dog and picking fights with Labradors is wrong, then how would you like your dog to greet a Labrador? 
And they then tell me, well, I don't know, um, maybe wag his tail, maybe sit. I say, okay, let's teach him to sit and wag his tail then whenever a Labrador comes up. Now we've set our criteria, we've got something to do, we're going to teach this dog to sit and wag his tail, and additionally also we're going to teach the dog eventually to like being approached by other dogs. I think it's very, very important that we separate what we think from what we know. And a dog's temperament, uh, the causes for behavior, the dog's motives, if it has any, these are all assumed by us. Um, They're unseen. There's no proof of it. We just say the dog is acting out of spite. Or a real catch-all is we say the dog's being dominant. Yeah, the dog's being dominant. He's trying to dominate you. Why? Because he's humping you. I mean, I'm sorry, but frankly, if a dog is humping you, I would say the last thing on his mind at the moment is dominance. He's just getting his jollies off and having a good time. He probably likes you a lot. He's not trying to dominate you. You know, he's just, he's, he's just humping. And, you know, if you like it, leave your leg there. If you don't, tell him to sit. It's very difficult to hump when you're in the sitting position. So, you know, as soon as we get into this motive thing, we we start to... We're training just, it goes downhill. So let's concentrate instead on what we know, the dog's behavior. What is the dog doing? Behavior is observable, it's quantifiable. And so, for example, when someone says to me, uh, oh, my dog has separation anxiety, I'm interested in why do you think so? What is this dog doing? And I want to quantify this behavior. So I will put a little machine in the house which will count how many times the dog barks. It will count how many paces the dog takes. Does it pace or does it lie down in its crate? It will calculate how many seconds the dog is in his crate. So we now have some hardcore evidence of what the dog is doing, and then we can set our criteria so we change things. We want to teach the dog to be calmer, not to pace, not to bark. So let's keep pet dog training simple. Let's make pet dog training fun, and let's make sure that pet dog training is effective. Let's make sure it's solution-based that we don't waste too much time on gathering a history. Um, We don't waste too much time on classifying the problem because we don't know for sure. Let's just find out what the dog's doing that the owner doesn't like, um, and then let's try and change this behavior. So how do we do it? Well, number one in my book is let's develop trust and confidence. That... um, This, to me, is is the very foundation of of any learning relationship, any teacher-pupil relationship, or any buddy relationship. We want the dog to be our friend. We want the dog to feel confident around us and our friends, um, around our human friends, especially strangers, especially men, and very especially children. So basically here, lots and lots and lots of classical conditioning. Um, By classical conditioning, what I mean here is associative learning. We're going to get the dog to associate people with good times. And so you're going to invite a bunch of people around to hand feed the dog. I mean, in just a couple of sessions, the dog says, hey, I love it when people come around. These people are so cool. Um, They feed me all sorts of treats. I like the presence and presence of people. All these people give me presence. In addition to making training fun and, and, and lots of classical conditioning, um, let's never resort to what I call the ugly face technique. And this is basically you grab the dog and shout at it, you bad dog. I mean, you've just, you've trashed all the trust and confidence in just a couple of seconds. So let's just stay away from it. You know, your dog's meant to be your best friend. Number two, I would say observe the dog's behavior and give appropriate feedback. What is appropriate feedback? Well, for the most part, the dog's being good. I mean, this is the thing even about really badly behaved dogs that 99% of the time they're good. And so observe their behavior and praise and reward them when they're good. Be representative about your feedback. Don't fall into the trap of ignoring the dog when he's good, when he's lying down quietly, and then when he barks, you say, will you be quiet now? Here you're accentuating the problem, and this can make a lot of problems worse, especially for dogs that are lonely and need attention. They will now misbehave to get your attention. What if the dog's being 
behaving in a way you don't like, then tell him so. If he's running around, tell him to sit. If he's barking, tell him to shush. If he doesn't know what shush means, teach him. Um, you'll learn that in the, in the course of the many episodes in um, this program. Above all, though, observe the dog's behavior and listen to what the dog is saying. And for example, if he growls at you, you know, you reach for him or say a stranger comes around and your dog goes, boo, you've got to listen to that. Your dog's telling you he's upset, so do something about it. What are you going to do? You're going to hit him now? Say, yo, you bad dog, don't do that. Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> and now he's got two reasons to growl. The first one, whatever it was, and the fact that now you're getting angry with him and, and you're starting to shout at him and to hit him. I would say he's growling because he's upset. Find out what he's upset about and resolve that problem. He's probably upset because a stranger came around. He didn't know them. So get the stranger to hand feed your dog lots and lots of treats. Set realistic training goals. This is really important that the goals are realistic. I was in class once. There was an owner with a Jack Russell Terry. She says, he won't sit still for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up. He's driving me round the twist. I said, he won't sit still for a second. I bet you ten bucks he will. So I started working with him, and third try, he sat still for one second. I timed it with a stopwatch. And I said, let's do it again. Next time was 2.2 seconds. Then we're up to three seconds, then five, then eight, then ten. Before the session was over, we did a one-minute sit-stay. So this is what I mean by make it easy. Every long journey starts with little baby steps. So will he sit still for a second? Yes, he will. Now try for two seconds, then try for three. Give clear directions. And, and this is really where lure reward training just reigns supreme. Um, the act that you're luring the dog is just the quickest way to teach the dog the meaning of our instructions. We say sit, we lift a, uh, a chew toy up in the air. As he lifts up his nose to sniff, say, the squirrel dude, he puts his butt on the ground and we say, good boy. So his nose follows the lure, his butt has to then descend to the ground. So by saying sit and moving the lure upwards, the dog learns, aha, that's very interesting. Every time they say sit, they lift that lure upwards. I think that sit means put my butt on the ground. And I'm pretty certain about that because as soon as I put my butt on the ground, they give me a food treat. Give clear directions. Lure reward training is the way to go. Then objectively assess your dog's performance. How did it go? Did the training work? Um, if it didn't, Go to plan B. Use a different training technique. It's no point doing the same thing over and over. Um, if, on the other hand, the training did work, then refine your criteria. Now we're going to um, set higher standards, and so the, the dog's performance just gets better and better and better. And, and indeed, all training should be a test-train-test format that basically um, you test how, how good the dog's behavior is. Say, for example, how long the dog will sit stay, how long the dog will pay attention and look at you, um, or how many times the dog barks when the front doorbell rings. Then you train the dog and you test the dog again. You've got to make sure that the training is going in the right direction. Um, I'm reminded of years ago, I, I, I watched a, a traditional um, on-leash dog training class. This is way back in 1982. And I just counted how many commands they gave, heel, sit, stand, stay, and how many times they jerked the dog on leash. And basically for every time they said heel, they would give the dog a leash pop um, 3.7 times. Um, that means 370% likelihood of getting a correction after every command. No wonder after a while the dog wasn't so keen on hearing the word heel. And whenever he heard the word heel, you know, he would hang his head down. Now, that's one thing about it, that this was obviously not a fun training technique. Um, be much better if we counted how many w rewards does the dog get. When we say sit, we say sit. Well, he puts his butt on the ground. He's a good boy, then there's a good boy. And we give him, say, three bits of kibble. And then the dog would form positive associations with the instructions that we use. The, the scary thing, though, about this class was I went back two weeks later and I observed the same class and I counted every command that was given and every leash correction that the dog got. And it didn't change. 
it didn't change. Now, what does this mean? Well, what it means is the dogs obviously aren't learning. If we're still giving the same number of corrections, then it means that the dog still isn't doing it our way. The dog is not learning, yet we're still correcting him. Um, It's not working, guys. It's time to change to plan B. So this is really important in training, that to give clear directions, to objectively assess the dog's performance, to check that the dog's behavior is improving. If it's not improving, change your training techniques. Maybe change to an all-or-none reward training technique. If it is working, hey, time for celebration. Praise your dog. Maybe we we have a new personal best here. And um, then refine your standards. Create new criteria so that now you're trying to break a new personal best. That a one-minute sit-stay is not enough. Now you want to go for a minute and a half. Well, it's that time again. This is Dr. Ian Dunbar. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Now you can listen to your favorite hosts on your cell phone by clicking the banner on our homepage, News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Hello, this is Dr. Ian Dunbar. As a veterinarian and animal behaviorist, people often ask me which toy is best suited for their canine companion. Without hesitation, I have recommended the durable and versatile classic Kong toy. The Kong toy is known as the original canine treat and food dispenser. Simply stuff a Kong toy with any healthy dog food or treat, and you have the perfect training tool. A food-stuffed Kong toy will stimulate your dog mentally, reduce frustration and anxiety, and ensure your dog is chewing on something other than your sofa. Fine quality Kong products pet stores everywhere your dog will love you for it walk with me and put an end to frustrating leash pulling lunging and jumping forever premier's gentle leader head collar has been delivering immediate gentle control for years and has long been the number one recommended head collar endorsed by vets and trainers dogs love it because the unique design doesn't choke and eliminates any pressure on their throat pet owners love the gentle leader because it allows them to enjoy comfortable walks and a more satisfying relationship with their pet want to join the millions of dog owners that have found the secret to stress-free walks ask about gentle leader at your vet trainer or pet retailer VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to iWolfs with veterinarian and animal behaviorist, Dr. Ian Dunbar, the pioneer of lure, reward, fun and games, dog-friendly dog training. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Dr. Ian Dunbar. I'm back with iWolfs. We were talking about um, an efficient way, effective way to train a dog, to uh, give clear directions, to observe the dog's behavior, set realistic training goals, and then always to check that training is working. And hopefully then to refine our training goals so we're always trying to make the dog better. I'm going to give you some training nuggets now. Um, These are in no particular order, and and we're going to chat about these in in future episodes. Um, The first one is start early. <laughs> it, I mean, it is just never too early to um, train a dog. Um, last week was the, the birthday of uh, puppy training classes, and the whole notion of training puppies um, was so important. Before then, um, you had to wait till the dog was six months to a year old before you get it in class. And now we had these puppy classes where we could now know we could take the puppy to class at 12 weeks of age. Um, now we have puppy classes where you can go when the puppy is eight or ten weeks of age. That is much safer these days, um, much, much better vaccination schedules and, and, and different uh, immunization programs that it's safe to take a puppy to a safe area like a puppy class and start training. But more important, I think, is the training that we, we do at home. Um, you want to check before you get a puppy at eight weeks that he, he has been trained um, that at eight weeks the, the critical period of socialization is two-thirds over the puppy should have learned so much by then um, basically if you go and see the puppy and he's just in an enclosure and and there's newspapers all over the floor and the puppy is peed and pooped everywhere and he's chewed up everything uh, that's what the puppy's been taught 
I mean, he's been taught by having no lessons, obviously, but that's what he's going to do when you take him home. So just check that the breeder has, has trained the dog you know, to come sit, lie down, uh, chew toy train the dog. You've got to check that there's uh, uh, Kongs are lying around, squirrel dudes are lying around, that this dog has chew toys which are stuffed with food. Um, and let's check that the... the there's been some attempt to teach household rules that you, you don't want to buy livestock here. You're not just buying an animal. You want to be buying a socialized, a trained puppy at eight weeks, a puppy that has some idea of what to chew, a puppy that is totally house-trained at eight weeks. Yeah, totally house-trained. I mean that. Quite easy to have a house-trained puppy by eight weeks. So please be aware, if you're looking for a puppy, it is your choice. Uh, it's your choice whether you decide to get a puppy that's socialized, obedience trained, he's house trained, um, or whether you get one that's not. And this means when you bring it home, it's up to you now to do some work and to house train this puppy and to teach him household rules. You, you just cannot start too early. You, you really can't. So make sure that the breeder's program is in place before you select your puppy. And then make sure that between 8 weeks and 12 weeks, oh boy, you better know what to do when you bring the puppy home. Um, we have all this information um, uh, that you can download for free. In fact, you can download an entire book called Before You Get Your Puppy. And you can download this from jamesandkenneth.com, um, an entire book about what you should do when you bring the puppy home, about errorless house training, errorless chew toy training, uh, socialization, and, and everything. You must know this information. The clock is ticking, and it is ticking quickly. The second nugget, bite inhibition. Um, this is probably the most misunderstood aspect um, of dog behavior. We have to teach the dog to bite gently. Um, this doesn't mean teach the puppy not to bite at all. No, to teach him to bite gently, then we will phase out the puppy mouthing. So we must teach him first to inhibit the force of his bites before we teach him to inhibit um, the pressure. Socialization, hand feed your puppy. Hand feed your adult dog. This is the quickest way to change his behavior. Get other people to do it. Get other people to train your dog for you. Total integration of training. Um, one aspect of training, the first, is to teach the dog what we want to do. But more important is to teach the dog to really want to do it. We've got to totally integrate training into the dog's lifestyle so that he just can't separate training from fun. Is this fun? Is this training? I don't know. I love training, and I like having a good time. And the good time has a lot of rules. So lots of rules when we're playing, and lots of fun when we're training. Object infatuation. I don't care which object you pick. You can pick um, a tennis tug. You can pick a cool kong, a kong on a rope, a retrieval toy, a chew toy, a kong, a squirrel dude, a football. Now, these are all fantastic products tennis ball, but get your dog infatuated on it. This will make training so much easier. Now it's time for the dog's point of view. Uh, this is our little dog who learns from our wise Akita. Theo, oh wise Akita, I'm worried about my owner. Why, Grasshopper? Tell me why. Well, last night my owner told me there were going to be changes and I was no longer allowed to eat first, no longer allowed to walk through doors first, and no longer allowed on the couch or the bed. On no account was I ever to stand over her or look her in the eye. I mean, I think she's cracked up. Ah, Grasshopper, this simply sounds like a standard dominance reduction program. It's just a phase. She'll get over it. They all do. Just eventually, just sit and look forlornly at the ground, cock your head to one side, raise a paw, quiver a little and whimper, and she'll soon forget this silliness. No, but Sensei, I I'm really worried. I mean, like, she was wearing a wolf costume. She was wearing what? A wolf costume, Sensei, with a big swishy tail. A grasshopper. This sounds like hyperlupomorphism. She's just pretending that she's a wolf, in the hope that it will be easier for you to learn. Well, actually, it was all a bit off-putting. I could barely concentrate on pooping while she swished that tail, and then she stared at me for the longest time, and I wet my leg. Just pee in your doggy toilet, grasshopper. She'll soon get over it. It's just insecurity. She finds her canine culture so strong and she's acting a little bit wolfy to try and feel superior or higher ranking, I think they call it. 
Trust me, Grasshopper, I've seen it many times. It will pass. But I don't think it will, Sensei. After I wet myself, she grabbed me by the scruff, wrestled me on my back, growled, and bit me on the muzzle. I mean, she growled at me, and then she bit me. She bit me, Marzi. She bit my muzzle, Sensei. I mean, what is it with these campy she-wolf impersonations? Oh, dear, Grasshopper, this sounds like full-boned lycanthropy whereby the human companion feels he or she, in this case she, is transformed into a wolf and administers wolfy punishments. Some of these people will go the whole hog, or dog, <laughs> and muzzle-bite puppies on gaudy television shows, such as Trainer Gladiator or Puppy Class Survivor. As you know, some even resort to urine marking in their futile quest for virtual reality or factory communication with their dogs. I'm sure that you're not remotely duped in believing she really is a wolf. Just be patient with her. I'll try, Sensei, but it's a bit scary. Yes, it is scary, Grasshopper. And the most scary part is that, even though they think they understand us, humans really have so much to learn about our canine culture. Of course, the vital flaw in this lycanthropic fiasco is that when they talk about the behavior of alpha wolves and top dogs, they actually give an accurate depiction of insecure, middle-ranking male blustering. They have utterly overlooked the true subtlety of dog behavior and body language and completely failed to notice how a true top dog can put down a lower-ranking transgressor at 50 paces with a mere glance. A true top dog, you see, uses mental control, not physical domination, to prompt respect and act of appeasement in lower-ranking individuals. The dog pack is a subordinates hierarchy, not a dominance hierarchy. Oh dear, there's just so much to teach them. I'll try my best, Sensei. You're doing fine, Grasshopper. Just sit down, cock your head and raise a paw, and she'll come round, hopefully. So, and what can we learn from this? Well, I think dog training provides a non-threatening forum for us to learn all-important people interaction skills. But we do have to get the dog training bit right first. The dog's our best friend, so why treat our best friend like our worst enemy? We must teach puppies the rules of living with people, lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. However, there really is no need to treat the dog as our adversary in the training arena. And there's no need to pretend we're wolves or the pup's mother. We are humans, we have human brains, and we're educating puppies and dogs, and it really shouldn't be that difficult. And once we've mastered our dog relationship skills, of course, then hopefully we'll be ready to better communicate with people. Because I think certainly learning how to modify the behavior and temperament of non-verbal animals really provides a lot of helpful clues how to teach pre-verbal children and even non-verbal spouses. And so this is Dr. Ian Dunbar with iWoofs. For information about pet dog training, please link to apdt.com. And for pet dog training books and videos, link to jamesandkenneth.com. I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Dr. Dunbar's iWoofs, the owner-friendly and dog-friendly dog training show to help you understand dog training from the dog's point of view and to learn what you can learn from your dog. iWoofs is sponsored by Premier Pet Products and by The Kong Company. So it's goodbye from me, Dr. Ian Dunbar. Goodbye from Dune. <coughs> goodbye from Claude. <coughs> and goodbye from Ollie. <coughs>